Several years ago, James Byrne, the Secretary of State for President Roosevelt said, I can tell you the difference between average people and successful people. I can tell you in three words. And he's not just talking about financial success. He means people with fulfillment in life, people reaching their dreams, living with healthy relationships. Three things, he said, separate average people from successful people. The three words are, and then some. And then some, as he goes on to say, average people do what's expected. Successful people do what is expected. And then some. We're going to look at a parable here this morning where Jesus talks about somebody going into that and then some. It's also a very misunderstood parable, which some people then distort the image of God. So I want to clarify what the parable means here today. And the parable is Luke 18, the very well-known story of the widow and the unjust judge. Now, Jesus says in the first verse, the purpose of the parable, when he says, I tell you this parable so that men ought always to pray and not give up. We want to live in that place of the not give up, to be in that place of and then some, spiritually to not give up, relationally to not give up, following that call in Christ to not give up. We know we live in a culture where people often quit things before they are finished or their character is flawed, so they are disqualified. We want to be the people that say, let us pray and not give up. And you'll see the reason why Jesus says we should then do those things in the parable. Very interesting article came out in Newsweek just this past week. The title of the article, Can Science Prove God Does Not Exist? Here is a picture of two different perspectives. You'll see this in the parable. We all have a perspective, and that perspective we have may not be the truth. That's why scripture is our standard. In this article, let me read you a couple statistics of the scientists. They're talking about specifically astronomy. And here's a couple quotes. Scientists believe there are two trillion galaxies. Scientists estimate the observable universe is 93 billion light years across. Some scientists argue this gives reason to believe God does not exist. So think about what's just been said here. It's believed there may be up to 2 trillion, with a T, galaxies. And some scientists say that's reason to believe God does not exist. We're all looking at the same picture here. Okay, the universe is vast. And so some scientists say, well, since it's so vast, people are so small, therefore maybe God does not exist. Other people look at the universe and say it's so vast, it's trillions of light years across, trillions of galaxies. Therefore, like David, they step back like Psalm 8 and say, when I consider the moon and the stars, I wonder, O oh God, what is man that you are mindful of him? You see, we have perspectives. We're going to see a couple different perspectives here today in regards to this parable. And Isaac Newton put it like this. There are two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. Do we look at the universe? Do we look at life and say it's a miracle? Or do we say, you know, nothing's a miracle? Some people look at the vastness of space the challenge of life, and say God does not exist. Others look at that and say, clearly God exists. However, some people read this parable and they have a misunderstanding of God's character because they don't understand Jesus' point in this parable. Now, let me give you a couple statistics here to kind of bring into focus the importance of not giving up and to be those people that are and then some. 
Here's some sad statistics, but pay attention here why it's so important people not give up. Because here's a picture of people that pay the ultimate price for their faith. It is estimated 100 million Christians have been martyred in the 20th century. Now, let's bring that number into a little bit more relatable terms. That is 150,000 people a year that die as a result of their faith in Christ. That is 357 every day. That is 14 people every hour. That is people that did the picture Jesus talked about, never give up. Why? Because they believed their life in faith, that message of the gospel was worth paying the ultimate price. And because other people have paid such a price, let us then be encouraged to not give up either and to trust that God is working in our lives, to trust the promise of who he is, to trust the point of the parable, again, that we pray and that we not give up. Now, Jesus says the next part of the parable is this. There was a certain city with a judge who did not fear God. He starts out, he'll repeat this twice in the parable. The judge does not fear God. A lot of people read the parable and think the judge is God. The judge is not. The contrast is between this judge who is unjust and does not care about people and does not believe in God. And if he's going to do something right... How much more will God, your loving Father, do what is right on your behalf, my behalf? The second part of the parable, Jesus says, there was a widow in that city who came to him to get justice, and he would not for a while. Two people in the play in this parable, the unjust judge and now the widow. It's important to understand in that culture, the widow was an outsider. She had very little, if any, rights in that first century culture. She is an outsider. She does not bring any authority to this discussion, but she has a problem. She needs the judge to intervene. She's going to go to him, and it so happens he's an unjust man who doesn't believe in God or care about people. I love this quote by Gary Wines. He says it like this, We become what we behold. We become what we behold. Some people look at this parable and they think the unjust judge is God. He is not. The contrast is who God really is, is the holy righteous one who looks for you and me and is on our side. And Gary Wines goes on to say then, God's intention is we gaze on his son, Jesus Christ, to become like him. We become what we behold. Do you believe that God is the righteous, holy one that has perfect love? Or do you believe that he is the distant, unjust one? Or even like the scientist, he does not exist. You see, we become what we behold. And Jesus is painting a parable, a picture, so people then have the encouragement to not give up. As we've talked about before, many people see God and relate to him the way they've seen their parents. So, for instance, if they had an abusive father, they may think, well, God is abusive. If they had a distant parent, well, God is distant. Again, the perspective we bring to day-to-day life, we have to understand we all see things a certain way. Let me share a simple story here. This is by Rifka Berry. She recently wrote a book about leaving Islam becoming a Christian, and how that costs her everything. And she's relating a story here when she was a child in Sri Lanka. 
And here's what she says happened when she was a child. Here's her words. There was no denying the growing hardness in my mother's heart. I remember finding a stray kitten. I named him AJ. He limped on his leg and would tense up when I touched him. I knew he had been abused. All he wanted was a little attention and maybe some milk. Whatever happened, I was intent to help him. So she finds this kitten and she goes on to say that her mother said kittens are filthy. You can't bring it in the house. And Rifka Berry said, as a child, I just wanted to take care of this kitten. And it's important to understand that shortly before she found this kitten, her brother was horse playing and had then thrown an object that hit her in the eye. And she was permanently blinded. So she's permanently blinded. A short time later, she finds this kitten, but she has a very distant mom and father. And her mother one day keeps telling her, leave that cat alone. And she said, I just wanted to care for this kitten. And one day the mom says to her, let's go into town and bring your kitten with you. And she was very excited. She thought my mom was finally softening. And so they get on a rickshaw, go into town, walk around the market. This kitten goes with them, follows them at her feet. And the mother says it's time to leave. And they start to leave and they go back to the rickshaw. And Rifka says her mother stomped her feet and yelled at the kitten to scare it away. And it ran off into the crowd and she never saw it again. And here's what Rifka says next. My mom said, I told you to get rid of that thing. It's been with us all afternoon. Now it's gone. We are leaving. And Rifka shared this. The memory of that day burned in my mind, not only because of the heartbreak at losing AJ, but also in a certain way, the image fits my mother and my father perfectly. Voices stern, eyes void of emotion, their message was always, go away, go away, go away. It was another early lesson in my life. My family was not to be trusted. You see, many people carry scars like that and they feel like the outsider like this widow. Maybe the outsider in their family, maybe the outsider in just the culture, whatever it is, and maybe they've come from a place of pain and so they see God as distant and unjust and angry versus the picture that scripture paints. Again, we become what we behold. Let me give you another example. Nancy Alley shared about her conversion to the Muslim faith. And I was listening to an interview where somebody asked her about heaven and they said, well, what about heaven? And her answer was very interesting. She said this, you know, she said, as a Muslim, there are five pillars to our faith. One is to believe in Allah and his prophet Muhammad. One is to give to the poor. Another is to fast at Ramadan. Another is pray five times a day. And another is to make a journey to Mecca. And he said, yes, but what about heaven? And she said, if you're talking about Jesus, I can promise you we do not believe in grace. We do not believe another person could die for our sins. And he said, well, how do you get to heaven? And here's what she said, I hope for heaven. You see, because we believe when you die, your life is weighed in the balance. And if you were a good Muslim and you had more good works than bad works, then you can enter into heaven. More bad works than good works, you went to judgment. You see, that's the challenge. Is God holding us 
to our own actions to say, did you do more good than bad? And weighing that in the balance with this unjust anger that so many people believe, or is he revealed perfectly in Christ who says, my grace is sufficient for thee, and his life was given so our sins could be forgiven. And it's not about whether you are a good enough person or not. Here's a verse a lot of people may not know. It's Proverbs 8.31. And chapter 8 of Proverbs is about the word and the wisdom. And those are metaphors that are fulfilled perfectly in Christ. And Proverbs 8.31 says, I rejoice in the habitable earth. I rejoice. Who is rejoicing? It's the word. It's wisdom. It's Jesus. And this is about the creation of the world. And he says, I rejoice. And that word rejoice means laughter and celebration. And then the second part of the verse says, my delights were with the sons of man. The delight of Christ at creation was where? With you and with me. A lot of people, again, they think God is distant. And Jesus says, you know, I rejoiced. There was laughter and celebration. And my delight was with you and with me. A God who delights in our life. You see what we read at weddings, that 1 Corinthians 13 chapter about love is patient, love is kind. It's not only talking about how we are to relate one to another. John says that God is love. Those pictures, love is patient, love is kind, love keeps no record of wrong. That is a picture perfect, perfectly fulfilled in Christ. That is the picture painted as well in this parable. God is not the unjust judge. The contrast is between this unjust man who did not fear God or care about man, and is he going to do the right thing? In fact, back to Luke 18, the judge repeats, I do not fear God or regard man. Two times now in this parable, he has said that. It's very clear we're supposed to understand that point. But he then says this, but... Because this widow troubles me, I will see she gets justice. So a lot of people think, is it teaching prayer? You have to trouble God and pry from his fingers. No, that's not what's being taught. The judge says, she troubles me. That word trouble means attached to. She probably, it's believed, held his feet as he was walking away, pleading with him. She became his shadow. And he says, because she troubles me, I'm going to help her. And so Jesus says, pray and don't give up. Because if an unjust judge who doesn't care about anybody can do the right thing, how much more is your heavenly father, perfect love, going to help you in your times of need? That's why he says, pray, don't give up. Not pray and don't give up because you have to wrestle with God to get an answer. Pray and don't give up, he says, because God is on your side. God is perfect love. God has your best interest at heart. Scott Kircher says it well. The story of the widow teaches me who God is. He's not the unjust judge, but a loving father. Who I am, I'm not an outsider. I'm a child of the king. And what's important? Be faithful to my calling and do not give up. And we close with Jesus saying this. 
Hear the unjust judge. And shall not God get justice for his own elect who cry out to him day and night? The contrast again, if the unjust judge can do the right thing, how much more will your heavenly father? You're not an outsider any longer. You might feel like an outsider, but understand Jesus says in him, you're now a child of the king, an adopted son or daughter in the kingdom. And from that place, he says, that's why you don't give up. That's why you continue to pray because your father loves you deeply. In fact, here's two simple prayers. I encourage you to write down and share these prayers often. And they're very simple. They were written by Father Matteo. He shared them around the world and people have shared the very meaningful outcomes of these two prayers. But when you understand God as the loving father, not like the unjust judge who won't help, but rather the one who says, I delight in men, pray these two prayers. Simply this, Jesus, come deliver your people. Jesus, come heal the sick. Jesus, come deliver your people. Jesus, come heal the sick. You know, Bruce Larson shares about a man at his congregation that always said the same thing after every discussion about the mission of that congregation. And he said it became sort of their motto. And after they would discuss the goals and the callings, this man would always say, why not? If it is for God and his kingdom, why not? You see, whatever God's laid on your hearts, you're no longer an outsider. And let us be the people that don't give up. And when the call is there before us, then we simply say, why not? If it is for God and his kingdom, why not? Jesus spoke a parable to them. For what reason? That men ought always to pray and not give up. You know, there's a famous story. You might have heard me say it before. I learned it from Max Lucado. He made it very well known. But the story's about Eddie Rickenbacker. But the story most people know is not the end of what happened. The story of Eddie Rickenbacker, he was on a flight crew on a mission in World War II. Their plane was shot down. They crashed in the ocean. They got on rafts. And they were there on these rafts for several days, out of food, out of water, in the middle of the ocean. And then one day... While they were sitting there, sharks bigger than the raft came up and would hit the raft to try to knock them off. And as they were sitting there in the ocean, starving, dehydrated, the sun beating down, no hope, suddenly out of nowhere, a seagull landed on Eddie Rickenbacker's head. He reached up and grabbed the bird and they were able then to eat the bird and use part of the bird as fish bait. And because of that bird, they survived. And the beautiful story from that is Eddie Rickenbacker, once they were rescued, once a week would go down to the pier and feed the seagulls for the rest of his life to say thank you. Well, Max Lucado shared that story, became very well known. And one day, though, a lady who was a widow of one of those men on the raft with Eddie Rickenbacker contacted Max Lucado. And she said, you know, that's not the miracle. She said, here's the miracle. She said, my husband, James Whitaker, was on that raft with Eddie. And my husband did not believe in God. In fact, he was angry. They talked about God. They had a Bible on the raft. They do devotions. And she said, my husband said, when I survived the plane crash, didn't phase me. Didn't think about God. When we survived the sharks, 
when we survived the several days without food or water didn't phase me. He said, here's when my life changed. The moment out of nowhere when Eddie Rickenbacker sat that Bible down and a seagull from nowhere landed on his head, that's the moment I believed. And here's what Max Lucado said, who would go to such extremes to save a soul? Such an effort to get a guy's attention. The rest of the world was focused on world events and our heavenly father was in the Pacific sending a missionary seagull to save a soul. Oh, the lengths to which God will go to get our attention and win our affection. You see, that's the beauty of the parable that we should pray and not give up. Why, Jesus says, because if an unjust judge can do the right thing, how much more will your father who is perfect in love be on your side and work on your behalf. Jesus taught the parable that we pray and not give up. So may we live in that place of and then some faith. We are a listener-supported ministry. If we can help you out, if you have a prayer request or you'd like to support the ministry, please see us at akronfirst.com. Our address is 1812 Marigold Avenue, Akron, Ohio, 44301.